You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. Luke chapter 19. I was planning on delivering a different message today. We're continuing in our truths to live by. But today's title is entitled Peace in Our Lifetime. Peace in Our Lifetime. You know, as we're in the season, we're looking forward to Easter. Um, and there's different events and reminders on the Christian calendar as we look forward and remind of that great and glorious, victorious day of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And it all began when Jesus entered what we call the triumphal entry. When he entered into Jerusalem, people were shouting and declaring and praising his great and wonderful name saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That means save, save us, we pray. And so let's go to Luke chapter 19 as we we switch gears here a little bit. It says here in, in verse 28, when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their cloths on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. And as he approached, he saw the city and he wept and he said this, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. And they will crush you and your children among you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on one another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. May we never be such a people that do not recognize the time when God visits us. 
when he visits us in this time, in this place, or even beyond these walls when you're at home and you're having dinner and you feel the touch of the Lord. May we not miss, may we, may we not miss that he is with us and he's ministering to us. You know, there's been many times where I've missed it. There's been times where I've been like all of you, we're not perfect, become preoccupied with other things, and you miss it. And yet he's so, so patient with us as we looked at last week. His, his favor is always towards us, and he's always drawing us, and his kindness is, is leading us to turn to him and all things. And he desires to indwell us with his sweet presence that we would know him deeper and deeper. And here we see Luke who's given us this very accurate picture of what it was like when Jesus entered Jerusalem. He's still on the outside, but he's, he's just begun the entry. And we see here in verse 31, it says that he, he requests a donkey, a colt that has never been ridden. But what's really incredible here, I want to make note this afternoon, is to recognize how Jesus was different from all other royal figures. Other royal figures or commanders and such, they would demand, they would say, you give me that donkey. I'm taking your donkey and I'm going to ride on into town. He asked for it. When you go into town, ask for the donkey. So he didn't do it in a, a conquering, divide and conquer type of way. He came there as a peaceful king would. He tells his followers, he says, go into town and when they ask why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. That very key word, the Lord. The one in who we revere and give our very life to. The one who is majesty. The name that we submit to. He needs it. The one that we've seen heal the sick and raise the dead, he needs it. And you look at this, if you put yourself in the scene, how would you respond when two followers came to Josh and said, that donkey, the one that no one has ridden before, you're probably holding it out for something important. We, we need it. The Lord needs it. <laughs> how would you respond? You're not taking my colt. Why don't you take that horse over there? But not my brand new colt. Perhaps, perhaps these owners recognized or had heard about Jesus. Perhaps maybe they even considered it an honor for this man of, of a royal prestige to request their donkey. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. So we can make these assumptions, but at the very least, Luke would make a note that if it was a point of contention, he would have mentioned it. Because he talks about how the Pharisees were coming against Jesus on all fronts. And yet these two, they never said, you can't have it, Lord. Whatever it was, whatever that was within them that caused them not to fuss is something we can take notice to this afternoon. That we would recognize not only when God is moving, but what he asks of us. They made no fuss. There was no competition. But Lord, are you sure? Verse 
You know, at this time, the people in Scripture were commonly poor. Unlike today, where you have many different social classes, a majority were poor people. And historians and scholars would show that this would have resonated so deeply with the people that here this man doesn't have a donkey of his own. He's not like the royal people that they've seen up to this point. He's requesting and asking to borrow a donkey that he doesn't have to provide. Not only that, he doesn't even have his own saddle. Kings would have their own glorious saddles made. Perhaps some were made out of the finest leathers and maybe even gold. And yet, what does it say with his followers? They took their clothes and mounted on the donkey. This, this humble place that Jesus was coming from would resonate, them, would resonate with them so much that he is one of us. This is what jumped out at me, was that this would speak to us if we were there. I think you would see of everything that you're going through, maybe you're having a hard time paying the bills, that this man is like you. He's like you in flesh and blood. He has needs and he requests of things. But when the Lord calls, when he asks us something, how do we respond? My takeaway point is this, when the Lord calls, don't resist. When the Lord calls, don't resist. Think about all the things that he's accomplished in your life, the miraculous, on so many fronts. I guarantee each one of us could raise our hand and acknowledge a miraculous moment, one point or another in our life, in which the Lord has intervened in the ways that he has moved. Don't resist his call. When he asks. And so his followers go out and they ask for this donkey. And other than it being a donkey that's never been written before, it's because Jesus is doing something that has never been accomplished. This is the beginning of his victorious procession of him heading to the cross to take away the sins of the world to bring peace in their lifetime. Peace. Now, donkeys were not the type of animal that conquering generals would ride. They would have the greatest steed. They would have, you know, massive horses of all different kinds. But not a donkey. Not a donkey. In fact, Scripture shows us in 1 Kings 138 that priests would ride on donkeys. Isn't Jesus our high priest who can sympathize with all of our weaknesses and needs. Here he's relating to the people as he's mounted on the donkey, as he's riding in, he's fulfilling prophecy that they were told that the messianic king would come riding on a donkey, daughter of Zion, he who comes in the name of the Lord, riding on a donkey. Here he is. So you can imagine the scene. Jesus is on the colt, and that's why people are ecstatic. They're praising and declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, we pray. They recognized. What do we see there at the beginning of the passage? They will leave no stone on one another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. But these people recognized the Christ. They saw the signs. Didn't Jesus see, say, be aware of the signs of the times? And so he's showing them that their Savior, their Rescuer had 
arrived to secure the peace for all who believed in him. Jesus said this in John 6, 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. John 5, 24, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Think about it. When Jesus arrived on the donkey, it shows us his humility in a time unlike the other conquerors, he's there to bring peace. But there's another time that is coming and he's riding something else. It's not a donkey. It's a white horse on which he rides. It says in Revelation 19, 11, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true with justice. He judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head and he had a name written that no one except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure and white linen. That white and pure linen represents us, that we are following him in a great possession, that we are victorious because of he who shed the precious blood. And a sharp uh, sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. (laughs) What an incredible picture of Jesus coming on a white horse. There's a lot of things in here that would speak to some errancy in the world of saying that God is not angry with unrighteousness. And here we see that one day Jesus is coming back riding on the horse to conquer, to put everything, establish everything under his feet. The time is coming. But here in this passage, it's showing that now is not that time. For these people, he is coming to save them from themselves. To save them something they could not accomplish within their selves. Now you may be aware of this, that this time what I found very striking is that Passover season was well on their minds. They're well aware of the, the festivals and the time of the year. And so when they're shouting and declaring Hosanna, they would have this in the back of their mind that they've been waiting for so long for the Savior to come and rescue them. And some, you can imagine in the crowd, as some people do, may be asking, is this, is this him? Is this the Christ coming in the name of the Lord? Or is there another? Even John the Baptist asked, are you the one that was prophesied? Or are we to look to another? And Jesus replies to John the Baptist, are not, you know, the sick healed and the the dead raised? It says, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Verse 38, blessed the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. A king only has such authority to make good on such a promise. True kings 
would establish justice for their people. That's what scripture says. A real righteous king establishes peace in the land. Was there not a declaration when Jesus was born that says peace on earth and goodwill to all men? Here they're saying peace in the highest heaven because the Christ has arrived. Peace in our lifetime. It says here again, dude, oh, because you did not recognize in the time when God visited you, you will be crushed. You know, this is a piece that deeply resonated with me this morning that I originally left out of my notes. I don't want to leave on that, on that, that point. But there is a great number of folk that we can you know, that come to recollection, even this moment, that do not recognize the Lord, who do not know him personally. And the day is coming. The day is coming. Don't stumble, not only don't stumble, but don't miss out on the peace and sharing the peace that we've encountered our Peace in our lifetime. Could you imagine what it's really going to be like to have real security when we live in such a time of turbulent, uncertain times? Peace in our lifetime. That very statement, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven, we haven't fully understood that. You know, our brother and sister that are here today that serve in Ukraine, they're seeing a very different picture, and yet the glorious intervention of the Lord ushering in peace in different facets and ways through his faithful, who are saying, save us, we pray. Peace in our lifetime. Look back at that statement regarding Jesus, who's one day riding on the white horse. It says, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it, and he will rule them with an iron rod. And he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God. At the end of the day, what do we do with this? The beautiful point that Jesus reassures us is because we look to him, because we looked and have faith in him, he says, you do not come under judgment. You don't come under that winepress, the fury of God's righteous anger. But if you don't know him, the time is coming where he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And this is the truth. This is the triumphal entry talking the very justice, the righteous justice of God to fulfill what he promised. You know, the Garden of Eden, some people say, man, God sometimes is, you know, especially the Old Testament is a really unloving dude. Well, think about this. If you take nothing else away, take this away. In the garden, when he told them, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Death. Cease. No more. But when he found out what had happened to Adam and Eve, did he strike them down? Did he cut them out? He didn't cut them down. He clothed them with skins from the shedding of animals, the the blood that would be necessary to cover them in forgiveness. Is that not love? Is that not justice? 
So here we see this triumphal entry reaching forward all the way through the time of Jerusalem. He's coming in and he's telling the people, if you recognize me, if you see me who's riding on the colt, I'm going to bring an usher in peace for all who look to me and trust me. Peace. Have you ever experienced such a resounding peace? Why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. And then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. What I want to leave you with here today is that Jesus involves us. He involves us in leading people to him, ushering in salvation. It says they helped him get on the horse. He didn't say, get lost, John. Get lost, Matthew. I can get mount this colt by myself. He wanted to, you know, involve them in the journey so they could not only can, you know, live off of what they had seen, but live in real time the intervention of the Lord. And as I said earlier, Lord, forgive us if we don't recognize when you're moving, but when he calls, don't resist his call. Imagine what he can do in and through you when you heed his voice. When you pray and say, save me, Lord, you know he's gonna follow through. Save me, Lord, he's gonna be faithful. John the Baptist said in John 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, with Jesus being flesh and blood like us, at one point the scripture says that he sweat blood. That resonates with me. Does that resonate with you? He experienced heartache, the weight of what he needed to accomplish for the sake of the world. And here we see, again, Jesus had needs, as we all have needs. But when we trust in him, he brings the provision, the donkey. So just for a few moments, I know it's a little bit different, a little bit unconventional. And I was being obedient to this. This is not what I prepared to speak today. But I just want to encourage you in this moment, just with every uh, eye closed and every head bowed, just to say something like, Lord, enable me to recognize you when you're moving. And Lord, when you call me, that I will not resist. Lord Jesus, we thank you in this place for your sweet presence. Lord, as we look to the scriptures and we're reminded of how you were set on the mission before you to seek and save the lost, of which we were of the lost. But Lord, because we look to you like our brothers, sisters of ancient times, that when we look to you, when our faith is in you, that we are saved because, as John even said, look to he who takes away the sins of the world. And Lord, we thank you that you didn't falter. But Lord, you entered 
and you included men and women in the journey so they could recognize you. They would be moved and led by your presence to trust you in all things. And Lord, like our brothers and sisters of old, Lord, would you help us to not only recognize you when you're moving, but Lord, be prepared to serve you with these hands. Lord, when you speak and and tell us to go somewhere or to speak to a certain individual, and even the words that you put on our heart, Lord, enable us to speak them and to not be afraid because when you're in the midst, Lord, that you bring the provision, that everything works out according to your plan and good purpose. Father, I thank you for the, the wonderful heritage that is ours because we trust in you, that you clothe us in fine linen, pure and spotless. And Lord, like you, that we too accompany in your great victory. And Lord, as we're mindful of that victory this afternoon, would you help us to remain humble and yet bold in that victory? Like you and how you so eloquently came and worked among the people, speaking, teaching about your kingdom, laying hands upon those who were sick, speaking to those who were held captive. And so many times, Lord, you said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you, Lord, for your steady hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In these few moments as the worship team prepares, I want you to think of some folk on your heart this afternoon that need victory. We can be thankful that the Lord knows all things. He's aware of the seasons that our loved ones uh, encounter, the times that they're going through, and there's a appointed time for people to come to faith in the Lord. There's no mistaking that. But there's something in the word that declares to us that when we pray, he's attentive to every prayer. And that when we pray, when two or three gathered, he says, I'm there in your midst. And so if there's someone that's heavier upon your heart right now that you know needs a breakthrough, that needs, uh, most importantly, to know him personally, as we come this time of worship, as we declare, Lord, I need you. Would you lift up their name to your heavenly father this afternoon? There are so many, I'm joining with you even right now as I think upon those names that Jesus would meet them right now where they are and that they would recognize him and heed his words that they can experience times of refreshing. Amen. Amen. Worship team.